What are the positives? What are the negatives? What's the motivators? Where are we? Some people need to be motivated by giving more projects because they want to show you what they can do. Others want to be motivated by you giving them a high five every time they book a piece of business, whether it's five rooms or 500 rooms. And so understanding those different points of motivation for each individual helped me through the process. And then once you gain back that respect or once they give you that respect, then threading through to create what I call a family is when the magic happens. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. Today, I'm very excited to have Don Gallagher, the Chief Commercial Officer for Crescent Hotels and Resorts. Don, thanks for joining me today. Steve, thanks for having me. And I, I love the idea behind this, this podcast. I wish we would have had this 20 years ago, but I think it's, it's great that we're doing it now. And it's a great venue that you started. So thank you for having me on your show. Uh, it means the world to me. And I'm very grateful to have you today. And on this podcast, we jump right in right away. So what was your first job in hospitality, Don? So the good news is I'm still in the hospitality industry because my first job wouldn't have been where I was most successful, right? But when I was young, living in California, my grandparents had a motel and we were, you know, it feels like my mother dropped us off at the motel in the summer to help our favorite housekeeper, her name was Cruz, clean rooms. So, you know, I started, I started there, not very successfully. So, but, but it was kind of the first time that I looked at hospitality differently. You know, if you fast forward from there, when I was in college, you had to have, I'm going to say 600 hours of hospitality experience before you could get your degree. And at that point I was living by myself, which was not easy. So when I went to get my hospitality experience, I, I stopped going to school because I, I couldn't afford to do both. And so my first, yeah, so my first hotel experience as an adult was at the Phoenix Park Hotel in Washington, D.C. It's a great, great hotel right on Capitol Hill. I'm proud to say I married my husband, who also was the bartender at the Phoenix Park Hotel from Ireland. But that really, to me, was that first fundamental grounding of do I want to be in this industry or not? And 
going to college for hospitality marketing, you kind of know when you're in your niche and you know when you feel something is right. And when I did work at that very small hotel, the good news is it was a small hotel. So I did everything. I did reservations. I did sales. I did front desk. I did lug suitcases back and forth and back of the front desk to, to customers. So you learn a lot. You learn a lot in a smaller hotel than you do in a bigger hotel. And it gave me a, a really good grounding and a basis on, on how I would move forward in my career. So, so that was you, first great, I, it, you yeah. know, and again, and an independent too. So it's, no, you got to learn a lot. And how did you know you wanted to do it? Was it something that you just remember as a kid liking and you didn't want to do anything else? Or was it something that your family kind of helped guide you to? No, you know what? So it was one of those things where you're like, what do I go to college for? I have absolutely no idea. And you're literally reading the college cal catalog and every little description of a degree underneath it saying, but I like that, what I like that. And I remember my dad saying, Try whatever you like. It, you know, at some point it doesn't matter. But if you don't try a class in something that sounds interesting to you, you'll never know. And so when I did this hospitality marketing class, it immediately clicked. I'm like, this is exactly what I want to do. There were other classes that, you know, that I, you know, I didn't like as much. And I thought, gosh, how much money are we going to burn through before I figure this whole thing out? So I was happy early on that when I, when I found hospitality marketing, I also just found like-minded people and I found a great professor and we did a lot of road trips to different hotels and, and talked to executive committee members from directors of finance to general managers to directors of sales. So just every, every part that I went through it, I knew more and more, this is exactly what I wanted to do moving forward. No, it's a great advice, especially from your parents to give to you, because sometimes when you're in college, you stress out like, oh, this is going to be the rest of my life. Right. You know, I was going to be a lawyer because my dad's a lawyer. And then I remember talking to him, same conversations, like if you don't like it now, you're probably not going to like it as you get into it. So find what you love doing. And he represented hotels. And so that's how I ended up in hotel world, which I loved. Oh, that's uh, great. What a great yeah. story. So as you're continuing on, did you finish? You said you had to pick and choose what you're going to do. Did you finish and get your degree or did you continue on working and getting experience? You know what? I continued on working and getting my experience. I didn't go back. And it was a, it's an interesting story, right? Because, you know, did I always want to go back and do it? Yes. Did I always feel like I had to work twice as hard as somebody with a degree because nobody's going to look at me if I don't have the degree? Yes, absolutely. So do, do, does that kind of build your foundation of, I got to outwork you because my resume does not look as good as yours with that degree. So I better figure this out quickly. So I think, you know, you always feel different, not having mm -hmm. a degree, but I think that the initiative that you take and the, the drive that you put into your, your, because of that, I think that's what made me more successful. And I'm very competitive. So I had to look at something and know what that next step was and understand in my mind how to get there before it happened or, you know, just to ensure that success as well. Yeah. So as you're getting your experience and you're working consistently, when did you first become a leader? When did you first get that supervisor or manager title that everyone kind of strives for as they're starting out? So I was so happy, you know, I was at the Vista in Washington, D.C., which is now a Weston. So Vista... Vista International used to be Hilton International, but in the United States, they had to be Vista. Now it's all one company and all works well. But when I was at the Vista, 
I guess this is kind of funny. So I was at the front desk, did a great job, went to reservations, loved reservations because they had an incentive program. And with that incentive program, it, it enabled me to, you know, first pay for parking in Washington, D.C., but it enabled me to pay for my rent and pay for the stuff that I needed to. So it was great to have this job, but then I, I could be on my own and make my own success by driving through the incentive process. So, you know, I'm a huge fan of room upgrades and, and selling upgrades and, and making more money. So based upon that, I was tapped to open the Weston Waltham. So that was my first management role in the late 80s to open that hotel as a reservations manager, which, you know, today would be the revenue manager. But it was a it was a great role with great experience. You know, when you open a hotel, you create a, a family of people that you'll know for the rest of your lives. You know, two of them were, were in my wedding. One is still I would could still consider my best friend today. But those relationships will never go away. And we always have those remember when scenarios you know, working 14 hours a day trying to get a hotel off the ground. So that was a lot of fun. And, but it does come with, you know, some challenges when you are a first-time manager. Yes, you can have book smarts. Yes, you can read leadership scores. Yes, you can read everything. But it's not until you you begin to lead to begin to understand other people and begin to understand what your style should be. And I certainly did not know my style at age 23. I can tell you that right, right now. What I can tell you is I've always been a bit outspoken. I've always been somebody who believes in being very candid and very honest. However, I didn't necessarily have filters on that candid and honesty back in when I was 22 <laughs> years old, right? So, you know, you, you learn from those mistakes. You learn that you can't paint with a broad brush. Everybody has to be handled individually. And I, I had a situation where I literally had three people working for me, I'm going to say for about two years. And one person who I thought we were very close, and frankly, this is what I would also say, first time manager, in a, you know, in Waltham, Massachusetts, a place I'd never been before in my life, your friends become who you work with. But as a young manager, your friends are also the people that work with you. You don't necessarily make that delineation between this is who I am and, and this is who you are. And so you blend those lines of leadership and associate. And so the good lesson there is don't do it, right? <laughs> so, because they'll, you know, things will happen and they'll know something that they shouldn't know and it will cause problems. So there, there are lessons that you do learn early in your leadership role that you have to remember for the rest of your life. It should never shape your leadership moving forward, but there are those pitfalls that you just have to stay away from that I that I didn't learn. I, I hit those pitfalls head on. And then thankfully had great leaders that mentored me and believed in me because you have to be believed in or it, it doesn't work and and help me through it. That's no, true. And I, I didn't think about that for a long time. In our in my 20s, it was about the same. I was a young manager at 23, 24, and you have the people that you're managing. And one of the good pieces of advice, and I want to see if you agree with this, was one of my mentors said, Steve, you can have managers, associates, and alcohol, but you can't have all three at the same location. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, that's very true, Steve. Um, mm -hmm. And it's one of those lessons where everybody, you think that, oh, I can handle it. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know all this stuff, but it still is going to happen because you 
you put too much trust out on the line sometimes. And yeah, I, you know, it, and it's funny because it, again, this was a long time ago and this was what I would call, you know, somebody who wanted my position and good for them. However, yeah. I just didn't have my next step. I didn't have my next step to let them in and get out of their way. But then you start taking down somebody's reputation because of that in ways that, you know, just made it a very challenging environment. And again, you know, I, I learned a lot from that. I learned a lot about, you know, first of all, to this day, I will love everybody that I work with. I will treat everybody the way that they should be treated and treat them to what works for them individually. But there, but you, you learn some telltale signs on, okay, mm -hmm. I need to work this way with, you know, this, this would be a different approach with this person. And you don't know that until you go through it. So sometimes I think that, you know, as long as you're stung and you can recover, you're fine. As long as, as long as the leaders around you have built a safe environment for you to fail in and stay successful, you're fine. Where it's a hard and fast, hard no, you got to move on. Those could have been career changing moments for me. That's um, true. So I'm thankful that I had people that believed enough in me and then past this incident saw what happened with the real person that came out after that to say, to end up coming back to me and apologizing later. But it, you know, it was a scenario that kind of stops you for a moment and you, you know, you can't believe it. And then you learn from it and, and you move forward. And talking about moving forward listeners over Don's shoulder is a science that it's not over when you lose, it's over when you quit. Right. So you, you don't, you yes. keep moving forward and you right. continued to move forward, Don, and you start to grow your career even more. And I want to kind of jump to when you become a director of sales at the Omni. What yeah. was that like for you? Was that your first director of sales role? It was. Took that over? And it, so it was. what was that like? Because it's hard for some people to go, you're always the manager, you're a strong leader. But when you joined that executive team, was there a big difference that you saw? Oh, it was huge. It was huge, Steve. So first, you know, we decided that we had to move out of Boston because being in such a cold area caused a lot of babies to be born. So quickly <laughs> we said, got to get out of here. This doesn't work really well. Got to move back. Yep. Um, when I went to, to the Omni at first, I was the director of reservation sales, right? That was the role for the first year. And so for me to go from director of reservations to director of sales in the way us in the hospitality industry, silo and stereotype people was very, very different, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you, I was barely 30, 31, managing 10 to 15 managers, all older yeah. than me. Yes. All in the business for... A million years and all saying how can this young chick who just came from reservations come in and manage me so it was a huge challenge when you come from operations you just tell people to do things hey yes. enter that reservation check that person in we've got to walk this guest we need to do this we need to do that yes move on then you go into sales and you're like hey just let's just get that contract done i need that piece of business let's move on well why? Right. And you're like, because I told you, right? <laughs> I told you so. <laughs> what, what else do you need to know? And so what I learned is, you know, my first year was a challenge. It was a challenge because I was managing the way that I'd managed for the last seven or eight years. And this was different. So when I went in, so having these 10 people, I wasn't creating 
a family. I wasn't creating strength and leadership. I was going about it in a very kind of technical way. So my first year was terrible. Associate opinion scores come in and I, I likely had the worst. But I have a, a great friend in human resources. Mm-hmm. And of course, I was devastated that this happened. Like, how could they say this stuff about me? But they were all very right. They were all very right. And so part of leadership is learning not to believe your own BS, but to understand what other people are saying and to have subjective perspective on what that looks like. And so, you know, the person that I, that, that was my mentor, my friend, we actually are born like 12 hours apart as, as well. Wow. We talked through all of this. We talked through what's this person's personality and what, what's their strengths and weaknesses and what really makes them tick. And I studied every person because we did, we did this, we did this behavioral interviewing that gave everybody kind of a personality index of what their strengths and weaknesses were and how best to manage them. And so I remember studying it like I was studying a book. You know, I knew what, you know, person A needed, person B needed, person C needed. And I knew that I had one more chance to be successful or I was going to go back in operations. And failure is not an option for me. So I had to figure this piece out. And it was one of those difficult turning points for me to say, you got to get it done. Like, you got to get it. You got to be on it. And so I remember, you know, having one-on-ones with everybody afterwards, first apologizing for maybe my lack of leadership or my lack of understanding the synergy that needed to exist. But on every one-on-one, I had a folder with me that would remind me, what are the positives? What are the negatives? What's the motivators? Where are we? Some people need to be motivated by giving more projects because they want to show you what they can do. Others want to be motivated by you giving them a high five every time they book a piece of business, whether it's five rooms or 500 rooms. And so understanding those different points of motivation for each individual helped me through the process. And then once you gain back that respect or once they give you that respect, then threading through to create what I call a family is when the magic happens, when the wow. synergy starts happening, and when you walk in the door and you feel good because you feel that energy and you feel everyone is fighting for each other and they're fighting for the success of the team in the hotel. Gosh, Don, I would say, listener, you got to rewind this. If you're if you're driving, just rewind the last minute because that's some fantastic advice, Don. You got me pumped up. You got me ready to go. So it's just but that's, you know, that, it, you know, it was hard, right? And it, you had to study it and you had to make sure you stayed on point. And I think that really changed my approach as I move forward of understanding leadership and management is one person at a time. Your whole that life could have been different. Life. Your whole life could have been different if you didn't take that mindset. You could have yeah. said, you know what? I'm going to get rid of everyone here and build my own team or gone back to operations. But you did it the opposite way and, and you took off. So you're with Omni amount of time and you become successful there and then you make a change to one of the biggest companies in the world at the time that I'm sure you helped build you went to Starwood how did that happen so when I was in reservations at Omni um, the corporate director for Omni the corporate director of revenue for Omni was Chris Hines who I adore to this day who gave me a chance who called me and said hey and this, again, was just when Barry Sternlick had just bought Starwood and, excuse me, had just bought Weston and just bought Sheraton. Mm-hmm. And he was building the first revenue management team, area revenue management team. And that's really when, to me, 
Starwood put this on the map. You know, say what you want to say about any any company, but this is where we really started to say this is revenue management. This isn't price per day. This isn't you know we're looking for a, a better approach and how do we look for that better approach? Mm -hmm. And so he built to me again. I don't know enough about Marriott to say that Marriott had already did this, but he built the first you know area directors of revenue management where we actually oversaw hotels. We created revenue management. We actually, creating is the wrong word, but we mentored people that had a high propensity to do well in that role and become that person. <laughs> so, so, so for listeners that might be rookies, let's give them just the, the 30 second download on overall this new revenue management style that you were doing. What was different? What was different was the idea of making sure that we use demand-based forecasts in pricing, that we just didn't have one price for the year, one price for the season, that there was pricing midweek and weekend. And oh, by the way, you sell out every Tuesday night. Why were you sold out on Tuesdays? What was the buildup of, of Tuesday? Do you understand what unconstrained demand is? Very, very new words in the mm -hmm. world that actually have to come with new workbooks and a new understanding of how to build the house and how to really make sure everything fits in well. So for me, you know, I'm a bit of a data geek. I love data. I like to understand it. I like to understand I'm very competitive and I need to know what success looks like. Mm -hmm. And you kind of couple that with the fact that I was a director of sales and I was able to speak to directors of sales on what directors of revenue management did, right? So I had street cred with the directors of sales to, to partner with them to say, let's look at this differently and let's understand this differently and understand where we're trying to go. So I think it was, to me, it was great. When I took the role, it was between me and another candidate. And I'm coming from a sales background, obviously revenue as well. This mm -hmm. person, revenue from you know birth, right? And so they're gonna have a different approach and likely much smarter in systems than I still would ever be. But I understood what we needed. I just needed somebody to know how to do how to do it, right? So from a philosophical level, I understood how to build demand. I understood the distribution channels and pricing. And then I understood, you know, how to make magic and win. So I come coming at it from a sales approach was different, Steve, because the other person would say something like, change this price, do this, do this, do that, blah, 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 right? And, right. And, and likely win too. I came at it to say, here we are. Here's why we're doing this. Here's where we're going. And I, I, I brought a little bit more of an education and a sales approach to it. Right. You gave them the tools to speak. Yeah. And so I think, I think that helped, or at least it, I'm going to pretend like it helped because I got promoted afterwards. So it was good. Right. Right? As I say, you got promoted. And right. so you, you do a great job building this and you continue your trajectory of moving up and you take on a, a really big role, especially if I'm doing the math right, you're still pretty young in age as the regional director of sales and marketing for Starwood. Yes. And so what was the change there in job? Was it now same thing you were doing? You just had more people reporting to you or was it even bigger at that time? It was bigger, Steve. So, you know, one of my mentors is Gene Spaulding, who, you know, I adore to this day. And Gene was the regional director of sales and marketing in the region that I was a part of. Gene got promoted to vice president and to move to White Plains. 
And really she was in charge of sales incentive programs. And what they ended up doing, because it was such a large region, is they split the region in two. So I, I got half of the region and my partner, Will Stoltz, got the Atlantic part of the region. So in the early days, we were in Washington, D.C. The region went from D.C. to Florida, all Starwood Hotels, Westons, Four Points, Sheratons. And then when Gene was promoted, I had 15 hotels in Washington, D.C. in the area. And then Will Stoltz had from Atlanta to Florida. Uh, so it was a, it was a big job. It was very exciting, and, but I was ready for it. I I felt good and ready for it. I felt I felt great about the experience that I had in Omni as, as in sales. I felt great about the experience that I had just come from in creating you know my leadership style and and really working with those directors of sales and marketing in a different level because I was really working with the directors of revenue on growing their strength and leadership and tools and resources in that role. So coming into it, it was, it felt very, very natural for me to do. And so were you communicating up saying, I want to do this kind of job? Or were they seeking you out saying, Hey, you're doing a good job. We want to move you up. What was that like for you? It was me saying, I'm ready. I'm ready. And again, remember, you know, in, in that time frame, this company was just beginning to build rapid its arms around each other. I was an outsider, which is the best place to be when two companies come together because you don't have baggage from either company. So, you know, Weston had baggage, Sheraton, ITT Sheraton had baggage. I'm coming from Omni. I have no baggage. I don't know what you did, but let's all be friends and kind of move forward. So to me, I was immediately liked because I didn't have to worry about taking that size. Oh, she's, you know, ITT Sheraton or she's Weston. Mm -hmm. um, it was easy for me to, to come into that role. And everybody knew I had a sales background as well. And the vice president of ops that oversaw that entire region, his name is Rick Sewell, again, another legend, um, I felt I had a really good relationship with. So when Gene moved on, I'm certain Rick helped advocate to, to get me put in that role. Again, you're doing really well there. Starwood's a growing company, but you make a change. You make a, a decision to leave or did someone come recruit you? What happens and how do you join interstate hotels and resorts? So five years at Starwood and every year was different, Steve. In a good First, way, bad way, just kind of just all, different every all, year. Back on it, you're fine. But um, there was a lot of, there's a different CEO about every 18 months. So different direction would happen. So I'll give you, for instance, one, one time my region was Washington, D.C. The next year my region was... D.C. to Florida, all Sheraton hotels. The next year, my region was D.C. through New York, or excuse me, yeah, D.C. to New York, jump over New York and do <laughs> Connecticut. So every year was a different year. So I learned every hotel on the East Coast. I learned where and how to spell Piscataway, New Jersey, which I hope I never <laughs> have to do again. But I learned a lot about different hotels, different brands, suburbs, cities, Every environment, resorts, especially in Florida, I oversaw this one in Dolphin, which was a lot of fun and, you know, a little intimidating. Yep. And then every year they wanted me to relocate somewhere. Wow. And in Washington, D.C., and I love the job. I love my crazy life, but I can't move my family. I just couldn't move my family. So... At some point, I was wondering what would end up happening if they kept changing these regions. 
And so Gene actually, Gene Spalding had left um, mm -hmm. Starwood a couple of years prior. And she said, hey, I'm at Interstate and there's a really great job opening for you here. You should, you should, you should come talk to a guy named Sean Worker and see. And the reason that I liked thinking about Interstate was because I really felt good about my knowledge about brands. I felt good about my knowledge in a clustered environment, how to price your brands and how to drive success and how to create these clusters to drive success within the different clusters. Where I wasn't so good is owner relations. I was intimidated by owner relations and I was intimidated by what that really meant. But it was easy to hide behind the brand and say, ah, this is what we do, and this is why we do it, and I'm sorry, bye-bye. But when you then go into a management company, it's just philosophically completely different, which is the side of the business that I really wanted to gain more knowledge of. So, so yeah, going to Interstate was great, and it was a great group of people. Sean Worker led us, who has more energy and passion than anybody I've, I've ever met. But I love part of the stories where Gene is looking out for you. Right. Yes. This could be a whole different story if that person wasn't a mentor to you. Your whole right. life would be different. So that's where I always see is like you just never know who you meet in the day to day. You may not think you're going to see them again. And was that something you're seeing along your career all the time or was it just a couple of times that you had this happen? I think that people do look out for other people, Steve. It's funny when when I talk about Jean, because, again, she means something so, so, so much to me as a mentor. So much so that my kids who are now in their 20s will say like, Oh, mom, I think I have this person that I'm working with and she's my Jean Spalding, right? Like they actually use that word. She's going to be my Jean Spalding. She's going to make me great. So I know they get how to look for a mentor and how to how to look for something that's going to drive your success. And then they translate it, you know, for mom to make sure that, I, you know, I understand what they're going. So I, I do think that those people that hold on to you and own you because they may see greatness they may see what i would call unbridled greatness right mm -hmm. um, help you along that road help you along that path and she Love. definitely did it for me well shout out to jean for sure we're going to make Absolutely. sure we tag her in these notes so she knows we're giving her the shout out uh and you're with interstate for a good amount of time you're there 12 years you grow you get promoted again you've been promoted everywhere you go senior vice president of sales and marketing what was it like working in a place uh for that amount of time because you don't see that as much now in no. our current environment. But what was that like for you as you were growing through a lot of different tough years? Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure too, because a lot of things going on between 2003 and 2016. What was it like for you? When you work for a management company, every year is different. Because you have a small bit of churn that's going to happen in any portfolio due to owners selling their hotels. Mm -hmm. So you, 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 you know, it's very, you know, very rare to have the same region for 12 years. That would be very boring to me. I had a very exciting role with interstate number one, managing New York city, the independent hotels, opening different hotels, managing for interstate, their owned assets, which they held a priority to as well. And then, and then sometimes managing difficult owners. So no two year was the same for me, Steve. I could have done that forever. That was part of it. The other part of it, which I love just as much, which was I oversaw their global sales team. I mm -hmm. oversaw what I'm going to consider, you know, tra training for direction of sales and marketing and what that curriculum looked for. So 
I had the role, but I wanted to make sure I understood everything that happened. So I could do this on my own at some point, and I would have some familiarity with that. But to me, working for a, a, a management company is different. I'm going to say today the brands are, are, you know, they've caught on to ownership and the strength of the partnership together. Those first 12 years, maybe not so much. And so it was a, it was a different environment for you to be in to understand the priorities of an owner. And your job was to ensure that you met the priorities of the owner. And your job was to stand up every day and give the owner confidence that you can get the job done, right? So every call is a small report card of progress on, do they sound like they can do it? Do they've got good strategies? Do you have in place? Do you trust them? And will they really kind of come through at the end and mm -hmm. do what you need them to do? So to me, I liked it more because, it, because of the challenge of it. And you, you have skin in the game to make things happen. And so that, to me, I, I thought was a, a very exciting piece of the business. I love um, it. And you mentioned something like at the very beginning, you were nervous to talk to owners. And by the end, yeah. it sounded like you're very confident. And each owner is different, as we know. Some are very aggressive. Some are more laid back, just want reports. Who did you enjoy working with most owner-wise? I love, and still do, working with those owners where you have a shared vision. Because if there is a shared vision on what success looks like, you can get anywhere. And if there is confidence and that confidence comes from a, a place of understanding or history, then you can do anything. Honesty is very important. Honesty in the relationship is very important. But making sure that the personalities work together is where the, the music happens. And, and so I don't know if there's, you know, I've had so many great owners. We still have so many great owners, even in, in Crescent today, where things go well is where you're on the same page. Where, where they don't go well is where there's a there's there's a breakdown and we don't recover well or the recovery creates less confidence, which sometimes creates less trust. And sometimes it doesn't feel like you can overcome that. That's a great answer. And selfishly, that was for me because we're building up our vacation rental management and we have several owners with single family homes and buildings. And so we find that. And I'm going to use your quote <laughs> with some of them, but you're, again, you're there for a tremendous amount of time, ultra success with interstate. And now we come to where you are today with Crescent hotels and resorts. How does that change happen? Cause you were there for a long time with interstate. Was it just time for something new, someone you knew, or you were ready to move on? So Steve, you stay somewhere long enough because you believe something else is going to happen mm -hmm. at some point when it's not happening. You, you gotta, you gotta figure out what the next steps are. First and foremost, I would say that, right? Secondly, I had an opportunity where I could say, I could do this job for the rest of my life. I know it. I know it well, and I, I can do it. Kids are in college. Mm -hmm. So what do I want to do? Do I want to just hang and have this company that sold every four years, sell again every four years and whatever, or is it time for me to have my own shop? Right. And so I was called by a friend of mine that said there was an opening at Crescent and would you talk to Michael George? And so, you know, I, I thought about it for about a week and then I thought to myself, you know, I'm not finished with my resume. I'm not done 
This is not my swan song and I want to continue to grow. And, you know, sometimes you think in your mind, am I ready for it? Are they ready for it? Am I good enough? All of those things kind of come in your head. But I had a great conversation with Michael George. And I don't know if you've ever met Michael George, but he is CEO of the company, Michael George for the listeners. CEO of the company, dynamic, powerful. He's likely the best seller I've ever heard in my life. But he's, you know, he, he just talked to me about a company that said, wow, this is exactly what I am looking for. This is exactly, you know, this looks really good to me. I like the thought process behind the company. I like the way that he thinks. He works hard. It's a team effort. You feel a team approach. Mm-hmm. And some of those things didn't exist in my current company. I thought, wow, this, this seems fantastic. So, so yeah, I took the role as EVP of sales and marketing and, you know, came into Crescent in May, 2016, June, 2016, and have been on the ride of my life. And I remember saying to people, and I still say this today, cause I, I, I believe it. I'm in my dream job. That is my dream job. I have a team that is my family. It's my Crescent family of individuals that are hard workers that enjoy what they do, that we play and we have fun and damn it, we're competitive and we will have races and we will, you know, do different things together as teams and we work hard, but we all believe in trusting each other to drive the success of the company. And so, you know, I, I couldn't be happier in, in taking, you know, the role with Crescent and seeing again, our growth in the last six years and what we've been able to do again, not me personally, this is a team approach it's a team business, but all of us driving and growing successfully together has just been wonderful. Really, really wonderful. Wow. And I can feel that, that you, you mean it. And, and for listeners, her eyes lit up when she started speaking that way and her smile got even bigger than it has been this entire time on the podcast. So it's, it's great to hear that you found the place that you'd love to be and you're doing fantastic things there. And, and for listeners to see, you know, she got promoted very quickly as she always does, as we see in her career. Uh, so she's a go-getter, but I want to talk about the first time you got to the C-suite because that's big for a lot of people. Many people don't get to this top of the pyramid. What was it like for you once you got up there? I think that it can be intimidating, Steve. You know, first, there's not many female Mm-mm. chief commercial officers or even before it was a chief sales and marketing officer. And so you're kind of like, do I fit in my shoes? And I think more, more people are, than not say, yeah, you do fit in those shoes. You may not feel like you fit in those shoes, but damn it, you do fit in those shoes, right? But, you know, to me, you know, the, the, the stronger the relationships are that you created, you do realize that, that, you know, whether it's within your wake or whether it's still on the runway that you're headed towards ahead, there's a lot of people that are rooting for a lot of different people. And success, you know, get success and you, you, you can begin to feel the momentum from it. And so it felt, you know, at first I was intimidated, but then it felt very natural right? Just, you know, let's change my business card and kind of move forward because I'm always going to be who I'm going to be. And the, the business card of the title doesn't matter. What matters to me most is how people feel at, at the hotel level, how they feel at the corporate level, and how are we creating the best environment, first of all, the most competitive, but the best environment that can allow people the opportunity to stay with Crescent forever. Like, what does that look like? And how do you create a value proposition that says you can do that? 
and try to create different openings and try to create, you know, lanes where people can be success till they retire. What does that look like? And it seems like a very ominous goal and, and one that's rooted in why would you leave? You know, that, that would be my first response. Well, if we're not the best, why aren't we the best? And what does it take to be the best? And I think part of that is it's, it's driven from the culture and in a culture when you can move forward and make things happen and you don't have to worry about, you know, answering to a board of directors, or whatever, you're in charge of success. You're in charge of driving the revenue forward. And so although it's a heavy burden, it's not just on me, it's on everybody. However, we can drive forward to be successful makes the difference. So, so in the end, this team that I work with is amazing and we are interconnected and we are family and we created an environment that hard work matters, success matters, and making sure that each hotel that is successful continues to be with our portfolio. So in the end, it's, it's been so much fun. It still continues to be fun. Now, I will say not as much fun in COVID, right? Because I think there's more pressure on a chief commercial officer in an environment where there's no revenue and not, right? So, you know, I don't want to say before was easy because nothing's ever easy, but you kind of know where your lanes are to drive your business. In a COVID environment, the rug has been taken up from underneath you and you're now relearning different things that you never paid attention to before, right? I remember Steve coming into 2020 and of course, arrogantly saying, yep, we're going to continue to manage, you know, the, the margin on our OTAs. We're going to continue to do this. We're going to continue to that, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And three months later, I'm like, we need to master the OTAs. We need to master this channel and we need to master how to be first in this channel. Right. And so, you know, it's what happens, right? Every time you say something, something else is going to happen. that brings you something different. But, you know, it made us be better at our ground game and understand our ground game and create closer and tighter relationship with customers than ever before. So you you get into COVID and your customers become friends versus maybe they were more transactional prior. Mm-hmm. You, you create deeper relationships and you learn a lot of things that happen to a lot of people in, uh, you know, in three years that were hell for our industry and hell for those that were also in the industry, you know, trying to make it work. I mean, we were very lucky as a company, Steve, we did not furlough any of the corporate team. Wow. That's amazing. Um, You know, the bet was made. Michael George, our CEO, made a bet on us and said, our hotels are going to need you more than ever. The hotels are not going to have the people that we have at corporate. The brands, frankly, have been hollowed out to try to survive. And so now more than ever, you are needed in any type of role you could be needed for. So let's all make this happen together. It's, it's nobody's fault that this happened, but we can all work together and create solutions that help create strong relationships on the property and drive everybody forward and drive everybody through what we thought was going to be a small six-week issue, which ended yeah. up being three years, right? Uh, it's, it's, it sounds like you have found this great team where you have true leaders leading 
and looking out for the best of everyone's interests. So it's it's amazing to hear that because it's not everywhere. I'm sure you hear that from your, some of your counterparts that it's not like that everywhere. And so when you do find it, lock it in. Right. And and you're right. It isn't everywhere. And I think that's the, the interesting piece, Steve. You know, we can all work somewhere and gain the experience we're looking for to get us to the next level. And we've all done that. Whether it not be a good environment or a bad environment, I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, there was a couple of people that you travel with in Starwood and you better have had a carry-on because they were dusting you at the baggage claim if you had to grab a bag, right? <laughs> or, you know, there was, you know, what I would consider different atmospheres where, you know, I was odd woman out, let's be honest. And in that boys club, I, I wasn't going to fit. Didn't matter how hard I worked. But as long as you know that the experience that you get is going to make you successful somewhere else, it's great. But I want to create a company where everybody has the right experience and continues to grow in the right company. So to me, you know, sometimes I'm like, you know, to your point earlier, God, you were at Interstate for a long time. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> right. Because what I have now, I would have liked a lot earlier, a lot earlier. And so it's important to know who you want to be and where your success needs to be driven and then find that company and find that company that has the right culture that creates the environment to make everybody successful, to be able to take risks and truly get rewards from those risks that you take. Gosh, it's just great advice all throughout this episode. I'm, I'm excited that you've been on here, Don, but you know, I want to make sure I get a couple of things here. You are building this great company. It continues to build, and you've got great properties. So listeners, make sure you go on the website for Crescent Hotels and Resorts and see they're all over the country and in Canada, right? Everywhere. So take a look at her properties. But what are you most excited about? I'm not saying your five-year plan, but like in the next 12 to 24 months, what are you most excited about at the company? So we just, the first part of April, took over the Colonial Williamsburg Foundation Hospitality Assets. It's five hotels owned by the Colonial Williamsburg Foundation, which is a very prestigious organization. So within this five hotels, you have one five-star hotel called the Inn, the Williamsburg Inn. You have one four-star hotel called the Williamsburg Lodge. You have 28 colonial houses. You have a woodlands resort. It's a very special, special area. And first, we love every hotel that we take over, but this hotel, is going to leave one of those marks on all of us because it's going to be a memory in our future. And so Colonial Williamsburg Foundation, you know, is leading up to what's going to be the 250th anniversary of our country and really making sure that the history of what happened in Williamsburg is the right history. May not be the whitewashed history, but it's the history that that, you know, brings to light what have happened and and how we're better today. And so we're really excited to be on that journey with this team driving through that 25th, 250th anniversary in something that you're just not going to get in every hotel. So, so I'm excited about what's going to happen in the next three years on that journey, just alone with the, with the foundation and with the importance of what it really means for the United States. Uh, so that to me is, is the most special thing that we have kind of going to the future. You know, I, I have a kid getting married. I'm likely going to have more grandkids in my future. All that stuff is really, really good. But from a, you know, a work perspective, the continued growth with Crescent and the different opportunities that it opens with meeting different owners and knowing different owners, I think is, has a very exciting future for all of us. 
That does sound exciting. I'm going to have to book my trip there to see this yes. new Colonial Williamsburg. I'm going to send you the message when I bring my kids to go see what I saw when I was young. I'm excited to, to do it with you all. So look, you've spent a lot of time with us here today, Don. I love the time we spent together, but I have one last question. All right. So if young Don, who was working at the front desk, was starting on your team today at Crescent, what advice would you give her if she was starting out today? The first advice that I would give her is to cross train in every department. Sometimes people start at the front desk because they need a paycheck, but this industry is so much more than a paycheck. And so explore the different departments, really begin to talk to different leaders, make what make known what your goals can be and find a way to find success. I mean, we're lucky today and we've got LinkedIn, we've got different ways to connect to people. You know, Steve, I think that you've done a great job with this podcast in the different people in the industry that you've brought forward so that they can listen to those podcasts and understand a different story and they can create their own. So first and foremost, stay with the hospitality industry. This industry, you know, will far outlast anything. We'll never, knock on wood, have a COVID again. But the strength of what happens in the hotel business and the relationships that you gain are second to none that you'd gain in any other industry. It is family at the end. I think that's a great place to end our conversation, Don. I'm excited to meet up with you whenever you're in Miami at one of your beautiful hotels. I am very grateful you spent this time with us here today. Thank you. And thank you for having me. This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome.